Oh, gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would be with us. Lord, we pray that even now you would be opening up our ears that we might hear you in a new way, that you would be opening up our eyes that we might see you and encounter you in a new way, that you would be opening up our hearts and our souls that we might be changed. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, in the book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat, Pastor John Ortberg writes the following, Pablo Casales continued to practice the cello five hours a day, even though he was already recognized as the world's greatest cellist. Even when he had grown ancient enough that the effort exhausted him, someone asked him what made him do it. And he answered, I think I'm getting better. I think I'm getting better. I guess my question for us today is, do we think, do you think you're getting better? Or maybe before we can do, get to that, it'd be worth asking the questions, what is it that we're practicing? What are we trying to get better at? Or, or even who are we trying to become? Because it strikes me that we all have a lot of hours in the day and we all spend those hours on something or probably many things. So what is it that we're trying to get better at? And if you're not crazy about the answers that keep coming to mind right now, how can you set to work to overcome that apathy or that fear or that busyness to become something or someone better? In that same book, John Ortberg looks at the story that we're about to read in a moment where Jesus is walking on the water and Peter comes out to join him on the water. And while there are several ways where Peter could be seen as failing this particular test, he does have this going for him. He's willing to get out of the boat in the middle of the sea and move towards Jesus. Because as we'll see, there's 11 other guys who aren't willing yet to take that next step. Again, what about you? If Jesus is calling you to come to Him, to walk on water towards Him, never mind the fact that you'd probably want to put your swimsuit on first, would you be willing to step out of the boat? Would you be willing to follow like that? Do you believe that you can become more like Jesus? Because after all, that's what we're trying to do. That's what this is all about. We're striving to be better disciples, and this means that we're trying to become more like Jesus. And this is going to require effort, and it's going to require work, and it's going to require practice. Because here's the thing, discipleship is a direction. It's movement towards. It's a trajectory. It's, it's a way. But the good news is that one day, if we stick with it, with enough of God's help, we may also be able to say, I think I'm getting better. While we think about that, let me back up for just a moment. 
Today we're coming to the end of this first series on discipleship. Who knows where we go from here, but today we're ending this first one. Uh, and more particularly, in this series, we've been trying to figure out what does discipleship look like for us? And remember, we began by recognizing that innately disciples are working to become more like their rabbis, which is why disciples spend so much time with their teachers, with their rabbis, so that they can learn what they know, so that they can model what they do, so that they can experience what they feel, so that they can emulate their rabbis better. That's, that's the goal, apprenticeship, emulation. And of course, this is also what we see in Jesus' disciples, listening and learning from Him, practicing what they see Him doing, working to get to know Him better so that they can become more like Him. In the same way, as modern disciples, we listen and we learn, we, we practice and we pray, we work and we worship so that we can become more like Him too. Of course, for that to happen, we have to spend more time with Him. We have to pay more attention to Him. We have to be willing to get out of the boat, as it were, so that we can hear what He's teaching and model what He's doing and experience what He's feeling so that we can strive to follow Him better. Because, of course, the goal of the faith isn't to be more Christian or to act more Christian or to make more Christians. The goal is discipleship, to become more like Jesus, to act more like Jesus would if He were in our place, to help others follow Him better. We follow Him so that we can be transformed, so that we can be more like Him too. So if you would, I would encourage and invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 13. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 13. While you're turning there, I will remind you simply that we've seen how we are to be throughout this series, following and bringing people to Jesus, leading with compassion like Jesus, giving and holding on to hope for people. Let's see what happens in our passage. Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was, a, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Amen. Two stories with more than their fair share of mystery and miracle. The first story with not only its miraculous feeding, but an echo of the Lord's Supper. The second story with Jesus and later Peter walking on water with maybe a hint of baptism there. Interestingly, directly in the middle of the walking on water story, Jesus says, I am, translated it as I in the NIV, in a way that would resonate with what God had said in the Old Testament, declaring his name to be, I am, I am. And when I say it's in the middle of the passage, I mean there's 90 Greek words before, there's 90 Greek words after. And in Judaic writings, more often than not, if the writer wanted to really make a big deal about something, they would put the big deal right in the middle of a passage. Not like we do. We put it at the beginning. Maybe we restate it at the end. They would put it directly in the middle. So our author, Matthew, is not being casual about this to his primarily Jewish audience. Matthew is shouting that Jesus is saying, I am. And this would have stood out in this passage. And then at the end of the passage, we hear another echo. Uh, if you were here last week, you may remember the people in this passage are bringing their sick to him and they're begging Jesus to allow the sick ones, the loved ones, to touch the edge of his cloak. And if you were here last week, you know that word cloak is the wings, the fringe, the tassels at the edge of the cloak. And as we talked about last week, the prophet Malachi said, and there's healing in the wings, the Messiah's wings, the edges, the tassels. But that was last week, not this week. I just like the cool echo. Uh, getting back to this passage. I want us to dig a little bit deeper because I think there's a few things going on here for our lives, but much more importantly for us as disciples. Because remember again, we're trying to understand all of these stories on two different levels. First, what is Jesus trying to, to do in our lives? But then second, if we're becoming disciples, how are we going to do these things through Jesus in the lives of others? 
It's funny, when, when I read the Bible, most of the time, I'm simply asking the question. I, I don't care what this has to do with any of you. I just am trying to figure out what Jesus is trying to say to me. But this idea of discipleship means, no, 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 I'm trying to be like Jesus to the world around me, to the people around me. So it's not just what's the application in my life. It's how might I help apply this application in your lives, in the people you work with, in the people you encounter throughout your week? How can I be a better disciple, more like Jesus in this world? And so in our passage, I'm particularly struck by the direction of discipleship. Namely, this direction seems to be towards people with compassion, towards God in prayer, and then towards Jesus with everything we've got. Because again, discipleship is a direction. We are all moving somewhere. And the question then is, are we moving toward Jesus? Are we moving where Jesus is moving? Or are we moving somewhere else? And so let's see how this passage works in our lives and then how we might live this out better. Uh, and so we begin with this movement towards people with compassion. Uh, but to do that, I need to give you just a little bit more context. From the various gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, we find out that just prior to our passage, two things happen. First, Jesus has just sent out the 12 to do what he does. So kind of like midterm exams. Well, you've been with me for a while. Now I want you to go out and try your hand at it. Go out two by two and try and do these things. And they do. They've done it. And so right before the feeding of the 5,000, the 12 come back and, and they're ecstatic. We did it. You, you, uh, Peter, I saw Peter. He did the thing that you did with the other play. I, and they're excited and they're... Here's the thing. The disciples are a pretty underwhelming group overall. But they've been with Jesus and they've learned from Jesus, and, they've, and now they're emulating Jesus, and suddenly they're able to do some of the things that Jesus has done. And they just got back from this mission. Obviously, the next step is to debrief them a little bit, to talk through all that has happened, uh, solidify some of the teachings, some of the learnings, and troubleshoot some of the mistakes. Well, yeah, of course that didn't work, because that's not how Jesus did it. He did it this way. Oh, and so it's time to withdraw by boat privately to a solitary place so that they can spend some time figuring out what happened. But then there's something else that happens right before our passage. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the herald of the Messiah, Jesus' own relative, has just been killed by Herod the Tetrarch. And while in some ways this has been coming for a little bit, John has been in prison for a while, this was a more unnecessary and violent death than anyone was expecting. And they get this news that John the Baptist has just died right before our passage. And so it's time to withdraw by boat privately to a solitary place. It makes more sense why they're getting away. You have this exciting news and this terrible news. It all happens on the same day. And Jesus' response is, you know what? Boys, let's get in the boat. We're going to go somewhere else for a little bit so we can process. 
except when Jesus gets to the other side, the crowds are already there. And just to be clear, if I'm Jesus and we thank God I am not, I would just turn the boat around. Luckily, I'm learning from my rabbi a different way to live because Jesus' response is fundamentally different. He moves towards the people with compassion. He stops. He engages. He listens. He heals. He's with them. As evening approaches, the disciples come to Jesus and point out that all of these people are about to be hungry. And while I suspect that this probably has more to do with the disciples' tummies rumbling, the other way to interpret it would be that the disciples are actually starting to grow in their compassion and empathy towards other people. They are there with the crowd too, and they're starting to recognize, if not anticipate, the needs of the people. Jesus, hoping to push the disciples a little bit further, tells them, why don't you try your hand at feeding the crowd? Why don't you try to serve like that? But they're not Jesus, and so they don't know what to do. Luckily, Jesus does, and miraculously, He feeds the crowd because Jesus has compassion on them. And we find hope and comfort in this because it reminds us that Jesus has come near to us too, that Jesus has compassion on us too. But remember, this also means that this is the kind of people that we are becoming. We are becoming a people who move towards Jesus as He moves towards others with compassion. We don't just recognize the needs of the people around us, but then we are the kind of people who start to do something about it. If discipleship is a direction, then we are the kind of people who follow Jesus towards others. Even when we're tired, even when we'd rather be doing something else, even when we've just got wonderful news, even when we've just gotten horrible news, even when we simply just want a break, we are the kind of people who move towards others in compassion. But let's keep going, because there's another thing to notice and emulate in how Jesus acts, and that is how Jesus moves towards God in solitude and prayer. The whole start story starts with Jesus recognizing that it would be best for them to get away. Shortly thereafter, He's praying over loaves and bread and feeding 5,000. But then when everyone's been fed and everyone's been cared for, Jesus sends them all away, even the disciples, and he hikes up a mountainside to pray by himself. And there's a couple things to notice here. First, Jesus doesn't only send people away, but then he goes up a mountainside by himself, which seems strange in that he also could have just, I don't know, just sat down where he was. I mean, it's nighttime. And he's just sent everyone else away, and so there's not a huge chance he's going to be interrupted here. Plus, it's been a really, really long day for Jesus. So why waste all of that extra energy on a hike? And isn't Jesus losing prayer time by going somewhere else? Isn't the seashore a fine place to pray? I like praying near a seashore. Why, why do you need a mountain? Only, I think, as every parent knows, just sending people away is never enough 
for actual peace and quiet to descend. Because it's only a matter of time till someone finds you and needs something else. And maybe sometimes it's actually helpful to have a little time to, to settle and reset before praying. Maybe that hike was intentional. A little bit of reset time before trying to jump into prayer. Of course, in our modern world, he probably would have had to go even farther. Not, not in distance so much, but I think a modern translation nowadays would be, and Jesus sent the crowds off, and then he, he stashed his disciples and his laptop and his cell phone and his smartwatch all in the boat and sent them all off. And then he was able to go up on a mountainside and pray. But let's also just remember who it was that had to work so hard to prioritize prayer this way. Because here's the thing, sometimes I tell myself, I don't need to pray. Sometimes I tell myself, I don't have time to pray. Sometimes I tell myself, I can pray later. Sometimes I tell myself that I can, I can just pray where I am and how I am because I'm sure I won't be distracted, and even if I am, it'll be okay. God will understand. That's how I say it. But Jesus, after an extreme day, after an exhausting day, after an emotional day, makes the space and the time to pray to God. If there's anyone who should be able to go without prayer, it's Jesus. I mean, I think we can all get along. I mean, if anyone doesn't need prayer, it, it's going to be Jesus. And yet here we see Jesus going far out of His way to prioritize prayer. If our goal is to become more like Jesus, it strikes me that we also will have to have a different view of and understanding of and prioritization of prayer in our lives. It's also worth noting that while Jesus prays those quick prayers in our passage, thank you for the bread, those conversational kind of all throughout the day prayers, He also spends time in this more focused, more intentional prayer, as if both might be important. Of course, anything that's important to Jesus should be important to us as well. And so if discipleship is a direction, it means that we need to follow Jesus toward God in prayer, even when we're tired, even when we're distracted, even when we're busy. Okay, one more. Because I'm struck by how Jesus is constantly inviting the disciples to greater and greater depth and closeness, and trust. Maybe more to the point, Peter shows us what discipleship looks like in that he is always trying to move towards Jesus. After Jesus is done praying, after the disciples are well across the lake, in the midst of a bit of a squall, Jesus comes to them. Unsurprisingly, they are terrified. Again, remember, it's nighttime, and there's not a lot of street lights in the middle of a lake, and they don't have cell phones, so there's not a lot of light, and maybe the sun is just starting to come up, and there's someone, you can kind of faintly see someone walking on the water. 
What's more, they've been awake a long time now. So all the news happened, then there's the feeding of the 5,000, then they've been rowing, and it's now like the, it, most of the night is over and they're still in a boat. It's just before dawn. And all of a sudden you can make out this shape. And they're terrified. And we see Jesus' compassion again, encouraging them, don't be afraid. And then there's Peter. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water to you, which I always find funny. If it's you, tell me to come out. If it's not you, of course, and that person still tells them to come out, then Peter's going to get really, really wet. Luckily for Peter, it is Jesus, and so Jesus calls him out. Come. Also, while I like to think that none of us would put Jesus to the test like this, let's also recognize that Peter's instincts are probably right here. Because a disciple's place is always with the rabbi. And so if the rabbi's out on the water, well, that's where I should be too. And so when Jesus calls, Peter comes. He steps down out of the boat onto the water. And he starts to walk towards Jesus. But then, of course, there's those wind and waves. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to go down. But Jesus, again, is there with him. He picks Peter back up. And as they walk back to the boat, Jesus asks, why did you doubt? In, in other words, Peter, you've got this. So what happened? You were doing it. So why did you sink? You have what it takes to walk on water. So what made you doubt? In other words, Jesus' hope and expectation was that Peter would and could walk on water. Of course, for the rest of the disciples, as Jesus gets back into the boat and as the storm dies down, they come to know him more and they worship him as they come into a deeper relationship with him more of a closeness to him. And we are invited in as well. Because again, of course, discipleship is a direction. And for us, it means that we are always moving toward Jesus with everything we have, no matter where he is, no matter what he's doing. We are the kind of people who move toward him, even when we're tired, even when we're afraid, even when we're upset, even when we're too busy, even when we're distracted. Because disciples are always moving towards Jesus. But here's the really good news. Jesus is always moving towards us. The good news is that God has come Near. The good news is that God has compassion on us. The good news is that God wants to spend more time with us. I think we see this all throughout the passage, but most clearly right here with Peter again. He stops moving towards Jesus as he looks toward the wind and the waves, which, by the way, have been there the whole time, and Peter starts to sink. And he cries out for Jesus to save him. And Jesus is already there. He reaches out his hand. It doesn't say, and then Jesus had to run across the water to get to Peter before he went all the way under. It just said he reaches out and grabs him. 
which means Jesus has closed the gap already and lifts him back up and puts him back on top of the water. Because even as Peter is looking away, Jesus is still moving close. Which is why we have hope on our journey of discipleship. Because here's the thing, as we continue to move towards Jesus in our own lives, in our own discipleship, we are being changed. We're being transformed. We're becoming more like Him. This is why discipleship is so important. Because as we practice being more like Jesus, we conclude, I think I'm getting better. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You call us and invite us to respond. We thank You that when You look upon even us, You have compassion on us. We thank You that You invite us to meet You in prayer. Lord, we pray that You would help us. Lord, help us become more like Jesus. Help us have more of His compassion toward people who we'd rather ignore who we'd rather dislike, who we'd rather avoid. Give us a new heart of compassion. Lord, help us also to spend more time with you in prayer. Not because we have to, but because that's what you do. That's what Jesus does. Stir in us a deeper longing to spend time with you and be with you. Be more aware of your presence with us. And Lord God, help us pursue you always. That wherever Jesus is, there we will be also. Even if that calls us into some strange places. Even if we don't know how we're going to do it. Help us learn to trust him better. As you further all of us in our discipleship. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.